Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. It is Friday, the 28th of May. Um, There is a story out of the Tigray region of Ethiopia on the border with Eritrea that um, I'm having a hard time speaking of because what is happening there is, frankly, unspeakable. But sometimes when unspeakable things are happening, we as Christians must speak of them. I'm, I'm thinking here about some of the things that God chooses to relay to us in, let's say, the book of Judges. There are unspeakable things that happen to individuals, and yet in the Word of God, those unspeakable things are spoken of. Why is that? Um, the depth of human depravity and the evil that human beings do to one another for some reason, God chooses to include in his holy word. Is it so we will know the depths and the breadth, the reach, the magnitude of human sinfulness? Yes, maybe in part, the darkness is so dark. Maybe it's also so we will recognize and know the power of the gospel and the incredible lengths to which God has gone for us on our behalf to move even, to remove even those sins as far as the East is from the West and the North from the South. Uh, So far have our sins been removed from us for those who believe in Christ Jesus, relying upon the grace of God at the cross. So those being targeted in Ethiopia's Tigray region are ethnically Ethiopian. They are being targeted by military members of Eritrea, which is technically another country, Um, But it is the Eritrean military that is brutalizing and terrorizing the people of the region of Tigray. And and yes, unspeakable things are happening. Um, And because I know that there are people listening for whom these stories would be so troubling as to um, as to cause not just great grief, but. literal nightmares. Let me just say that's what's going on. The kinds of things that produce nightmares in others are the kinds of things that are going on. Uh, And we're not just talking about uh, women, although um, rape is being used in a way... Well, that was strange. Sometimes weird things happen. Uh, I am back, and joining me is Paul Acey from Focus on the Families Plugged In, and you can read what he and I are going to be talking about at PluggedIn.com. Paul, hey, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, man. I tell you what, I was was really interested to hear what you were talking about in in Ethiopia. That just sounded terrible. 
It is. And so let me just finish that comment by calling people to prayer. We will just call everyone to prayer. And um, for those of you in a position to um, influence what's happening there, please, um, please, please, please do so. All right. Um, the summer movie season officially opens. Yes. Do I have my dates right? <laughs> you do. You do. It has been a very, very strange season in the entertainment industry. And everything has sort of been discombobulated. But but I do think that this weekend truly marks the beginning of not only the summer movie season, but a little bit of a return to normalcy when it comes to film. Um, you have some big movies dropping this week. Uh, Cruella is landing in theaters and on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the Quiet Place Part 2 is is also in theaters. Those are two heavyweight movies that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in. And then you have a really, really nice family movie uh, called Blue Miracle on Netflix. So I, I think that that we're starting to see uh, the return of entertainment. And and as your story just before illustrates, uh, sometimes we need a little bit of levity in our lives to to, to push through. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, I will say that in my house, there is some intrigue related to the release of Cruella, but I think (laughs) it might be a little too creepy and scary. Well, it is kind of creepy and scary. That's that's not wrong. Um, Cruella is, is a, a sort of a, I guess you could call it an origin story. It's a little like a a more friendly version of Joker that came out a while ago. Oh, goodness. Joaquin okay. Joker. It's not nearly as bad. It's not definitely not R-rated, but it still has this dark feeling to it. Uh, we all know who Cruella DeVille is. She's that terrible, terrible woman who really likes spotted fur coats and is willing to kill puppies to do it. Uh, This tells us how she came to be. Um, And it asks us to have a little sympathy for her. We see her when she's uh, just an orphan on the streets of London. We see her as she meets Horace and Jasper, her partners, her literal partners in crime, uh, as they sort of go through their lives. And and we see some some really nice aspects of her. She actually goes by the name Estella. Uh, But when she gets gets cruel, when she gets vindictive, when she gets selfish, this Cruella aspect of her comes out. And we see a whole lot of that in this movie. Um, for me, the the thing about the movie is it has some great performances. You know, Emma Stone is great. Emma Thompson, she plays sort of the real villainess in this movie called the Baroness. She is completely delightful. Uh, for people who dig fashion, man, that's all over the place here. But the thing is, when you have little kids, they this movie makes badness look really cool and really good. Um, And it doesn't necessarily do a lot to counteract those messages. So it can be sort of a, a, a bit of a mixed bag. It's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's uh, great performances, but man, some of the underlying ethos here is just not that great. Okay. So if I'm not gonna, if I'm probably not going to see Cruella, what might I go see or what might I stay home and watch? Well, I tell you what, I just saw a really 
really nice movie on Netflix. Netflix, they are such an interesting platform, aren't they? They just give you so much stuff. There's new stuff coming out there all the time. And a lot of times it's not necessarily that great, Uh, but they're leaning a little bit more into some some inspirational fare. Uh, We talked uh, about a week away uh, several weeks ago, and that was very delightful. This is a little bit in the same vein. Blue Miracle is about uh, essentially this washed up fisherman who teams with a with a band of orphans who are trying to save their orphanage from disaster. Um, and they enter what what is called the the Super Bowl of fishing of all things. It's the Bisbee's black and blue. They enter this. And of course, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler warning to say that things turn out well in the end. The remarkable thing about this is it's actually based on a true story. Um, When I was watching it, you would almost think that this was really too good to be believable, but it actually happened. Um, and there's some really interesting faith elements woven in there as well. You have a uh, you have this idea that the guy who leads the orphanage he talks often about how important it is to act um, like you should to make the right decisions even when it doesn't pay off. And for a lot of this movie, it doesn't seem like his good decisions will pay off. Um, That's a timely message, I think, today, because sometimes we think that if we do good, we will always get good things in return. And and I think that life tells us otherwise. All right. And then um, in the other, like, creepy category, um, The Quiet Place (laughs) 2. Yes, yes. Can I make a confession? I I actually... That you didn't watch it? Oh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I actually really loved A Quiet Place. I thought it was one of the best movies the year it came out. Um, it's really taught really um, at, at the edge of your seat type of, of tenseness. Um, and A Quiet Place 2 is right along the same vibe, right? Um it doesn't have quite the same family connection that the first one did. The first one was a really scary movie, but it was all about family. It was about this this family struggling to make it through this really dark time when these creatures who can hear a, a pin drop and will immediately attack any sort of noise that they hear. Uh, this one concentrates a lot more on the monsters. So um, you don't have some of those those beautiful family messages, but you do have messages that talk a lot about uh, what it means to be a good person, what it means to be courageous, what it means to be sacrificial um, and giving. Um, so it still has sort of that, that moral core that I really found attractive in, in the first Quiet Place, but it is much more of a creature feature where – if you're sensitive to, to scary stuff, this might be one that you would either want to skip or just have a blanket handy so you can cover your head. <laughs> yeah, I'm skipping it. Okay, uh, Paul, <laughs> AC, and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're going to talk about the Friends reunion. That's up next here on Mornings with Carpet. We're going down. All right, continue my conversation with Paul AC. He is a part of the Plugged In staff at Focus on the Family. Um, Paul, these next two conversations could be um, woven together because we could have a conversation about Legos and we could have a conversation (laughs) about the Friends reunion and we could roll it all up together. So let's start with the Friends reunion. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, the Friends reunion special was aired on HBO Max last night. It was uh, it was quite the event. I haven't seen any ratings on that yet, but you know millions upon millions of people watched it. Um, I know people actually... I, I won't say any names, but I know someone on our very plugged in staff that that went to a friend's reunion party last night. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Um, we all know about friends, right? Uh, it's one of the most popular shows. It's been off the air for for more than 20 years now, and yet it's as popular as ever. And I think that the energy around this this Friends reunion really <laughs> speaks to just that love of this sitcom. Um, it's a fascinating thing for me. I, I have watched maybe a dozen episodes of Friends. I'm not what you would call a fan. But I understand the appeal. I mean, these characters draw you in. It was perfectly cast. And for a lot of people, it became, you know, a, a real source of comfort for that half hour that they would sit down and watch the show. Everything in their life sort of sort of eased back for for half an hour. They were able to laugh. They were able to hang out with these super cool people in their super cool coffee shop and and enjoy it. Um, but. You know, obviously, from a plugged-in point of view, there are always some problems with with these these shows, and and Friends is no exception. Um, it's one of those things where the love that we have for some of these shows can be can sometimes be a little bit of a double-edged sword, and and especially when we're talking about kids, they can they can be more influential than I think we sometimes imagine. Um, which then let's talk about Legos because there's apparently a second Lego set uh, related to the cast of Friends. But on the Lego front, in the Lego theme of things, um, there are now um, Lego kits related to other, let's say, worldview implication storylines. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I this is my second confession of this interview. I feel really terrible, but I own far, far, far too many Legos, more than an adult person should actually own. Would you could you be on the Lego Masters reality TV show? <laughs> I am really not that good. I am really not that good. But but I do have I have literally thousands upon thousands of Legos hanging around in, in this very office that I'm sitting at. I can see some of these Lego creations that I've made. So I am a Lego person. I do like my Legos. Um I, and I think that that's telling in some ways um, because, you know, we tend to think of Legos as as these toys, right? We all grew up with Legos. We we built them. And, and most of us, not me, but most of us grew out of them at some point. But there are a lot of Lego sets for, for adults as well. And, and, and Friends seems like it's one of those. It's still a very interesting fit, though, right? This This show, Friends, where you have... Um, where you have all the characters kind of kind of sleep around. They they have these these uh, these very adult type of relationships um, as as what you would call a toy. Um, one of the things that sort of caught my attention when I was looking at at the latest set, which really features the two main apartments that we see in Friends, is a stick 
to touch the 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 ugly naked man across the 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 alley just to see if he's awake. You know that is not something I ever thought I would see like said sort of sort of um, reach into. You know that 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 whole idea of of the ugly naked man and 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 friends. So it was it's it's a fascinating trend, but I think again it shows how powerful these these entertainment elements can be for us. We embrace them so strongly. We associate with them so lovingly. And because of that, um, we we want to live a little bit more in those worlds. Lego, the savvy company that they are, um, understands that. And I know that the very first set, uh, which was uh, the Central Perk Coffee House, the, the first Lego set based on Friends, it sold out. You can't find it anymore, I don't think. So mm. so you know that this is popular. It's scratching an itch for a lot of people. I, I think that the, this new Lego set, which is $150, by the way, mm. is going to be gone by the time it actually releases June 1st. I think it's all going to be sold out pretty quickly. All right, um, Paul, uh, two uh, two media storylines here that we could jump on, so I'm going to let you pick. I have a listener who wants to know um, about Kevin Max's, uh, you know, and now ex-evangelical confession um, or deconfession, and then we also have the um, body shaming of Chris Hemsworth. Want to take up either of those topics in the last couple of minutes we have together? Well, you know, I, I tell you, I think that uh, that that for me, uh, Chris Hemsworth, being the big Marvel movie fan that I am, um, that is that is sort of a, an interesting thing for me. Um, my wife, for some reason, whenever we sit down to watch a movie, she always wants to watch Thor for some reason, and I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what what I should think about that because he's um, awesome. <laughs> He is pretty awesome, and I think the fact that I do not have hair and he does, and I do not have <laughs> the muscles. I I'm not even going to go there. That sounds like maybe too much information, but but I do think the fact that that on Instagram there are people who looked at Chris Chris Hemsworth as he was walking around in his Thor outfit, looked at his legs, and said, "You know what, dude? Those aren't muscular enough." That feels very strange to me. That that doesn't seem like I think we're losing a little bit of perspective on on some of that. Um, as for the Kevin Max thing, it it does feel like it's a really difficult issue. You know, we we're seeing more and more of this. It seems where where people who we listen to, people who we grew up listening to, have moved away from the faith, or they start to to reevaluate their faith. Um, in some ways, that's just sort of a nature, the nature of our of our fractured, fallen times. Um, it's it's a difficult time to pursue true faith. And I think sometimes we see the Christians around us um, as we see how sometimes they act and sometimes what they say, it can rub other Christians the wrong way. And, and we sort of want to it, – it makes us question. It makes us question a lot of things. How much does, does Christianity truly change us? How much do we – do we um, – how much faith should we put in our faith? It, it's a very strange spot that we're in 
in our society and and it takes a lot of it takes a lot of um perspective i think to walk through it it's a it's a difficult time um I think that 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 Kevin is is walking through this time. He's he's honest about this time. The thing about when we talk about someone's faith, the story is never finished until it's finished. We are all on a journey of faith, and you never know where that journey is going to take you. Hopefully, we all are on the process of walking closer and closer to God. But sometimes we take a little detours along the way. So for those of you who um, aren't familiar with this storyline, uh, Kevin Max is uh, famous for his role in DC Talk, and he now describes himself as ex-evangelical. He describes himself as having progressed uh, for decades uh, on this topic. Um, I found very helpful John Cooper's response to Kevin Max's deconstruction. You can find John Cooper's response on Facebook. You can find it on YouTube. Um, you guys know how much I like John Cooper. I use one of his songs as our walk-in. Um, that's the Lions song. All right, Paul AC from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Thank you so much for joining us today. Carmen, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. You can find Paul and tons of good content at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. We talk about the greatest story ever told. We talk about the narrative nature of much of the Bible. Um, we talk about the stories that propel us forward, the ones upon which we have built our identity. And yet, I don't think that we often consider all of the stories that others are using and utilizing to construct their lives. You can build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, or you can build your life on what he describes as all kinds of other sinking sand. I want you to consider for a moment that there's a story, a meta-narrative, at least a narrative, under each of those worldviews. We're going to talk about that next and the search for a better story with Bruce Ashford. We'll be right back. This is Max Lakato. Someone you know is under attack. Your neighbor is depressed. Your sibling is off track. Your child is facing an uphill challenge. You may not know what to say. You may not have resources to help. But you have this. You have prayer. According to this promise, your prayers prompt the response of God in the lives of those you love. James 5.16 The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When we pray for one another, we enter God's workshop. We pick up a hammer, and we help him accomplish his purposes. Our prayers unlock the storehouses of heaven. The link between God's goodness and your friends is your prayers. And when you pray, when you speak for the ones who need help, to the one who can give it, something wonderful happens. This is Max Lakato, and this is How Happiness Happens. All right, we're working to connect with Dr. Bruce Ashford, um, but while we do that, let me lift up one of the leftovers on my list from today, um, and it actually is a, hmm, how will I describe it? 
Uh, it's a controversy that arises out of an editorial decision at the USA Today. So here's what happened. The USA Today published an opinion piece by Chelsea Mitchell. Now, Chelsea Mitchell is a student athlete, and her opinion piece was about the unfairness that she has experienced when being forced to compete against uh, biologically male athletes. So this gets into the conversation about transgendered individuals or people who identify with the gender other than their biological sex, and and when they are allowed to compete in in athletics, particularly, uh, you know, at the high school and college levels. And so Chelsea Mitchell was, you know, she's simply sharing her testimony, her story, her experience, and the unfairness of it all. Well, uh, three days after publishing her opinion piece, the USA Today editors decided to edit her words, and they changed Chelsea's opinion piece uh, in response to... um, People in the world who didn't like or were hurt by the use of the term male. Male. Because Chelsea Mitchell described male people, biologically male individuals, as male, um, the USA editorial staff determined that three days after publishing the opinion piece, they would then go back and edit the language. The hurtful, the quote unquote hurtful language that the editors deleted from Chelsea's opinion piece was the word male. So let me just lift this up. When we read an opinion piece, we assume it is the opinion of the person under under whose name it appears. We assume if we read an opinion piece by a person named Chelsea Mitchell, that the opinions in the opinion piece are the opinions of Chelsea Mitchell. I mean, there's already a disclaimer on every opinion piece in every publication that says the opinions contained herein, you know, are not necessarily the viewpoints of the editorial board of this paper or of this distribution network or whatever. We already know that. We already know that. Now we know it may not be so. The opinion piece may actually have been edited by the editors. It may now be well, more the opinions of the media outlet mediating what we receive than the actual opinion of the person whose name appears in the headline or in the in the byline. This is blatant censorship. It's blatant censorship. It violates the trust that we place in the media to be honest brokers of information and public debate. So in order to read Chelsea Mitchell's actual words, you now need to go to the website of her law firm, the Alliance Defending Freedom, ADFlegal.org. You can read, I was the fastest girl in Connecticut until transgender athletes made it an unfair fight. Um, You can now read that at ADFlegal.org. You cannot read her actual words via the USA Today because what is posted there now has been edited and the word male has been expunged because male is now considered, quote unquote, hurtful language. Now, we talked earlier today with um, with Chris Martin about we're sort of in a Tower of Babel 2 experience. And his conversation about that is a little bit different than what I am surfacing here. But the power of words is essential to shared communication. 
the only way this exchange actually works right now, what we're doing right now, is if I use words and put them together in some meaningful order that what you hear actually makes sense. And the communication loop is then complete when you nod your head and say, yeah, what she said just made sense. You may agree or disagree. That's not the point. But at least what you are hearing makes sense. Like the order of the words and the way that they are being used makes sense. It it, it renders discourse, it renders communication utterly meaningless if we do not have a shared understanding of the words we use. And so let me equip you today in this way. Every time someone uses a term that you know has a debated meaning in the culture today, you are now obligated to stop and say, can you please tell me what you mean when you use that term? And then you need to be prepared, you and I need to be prepared to do the same. When the word love is used, we must now stop and say, what do you mean by that? When the word justice is used, we must stop and say, what do you mean by that? When the word grace is used, we must stop and say, what do you mean by that? When the word marriage is used, we must stop and say, what do you mean by that? And yes, when the word male or female are used, apparently, we have to stop and say, hmm, what do you mean by that? And you're going to say to yourself, wow, this is going to make conversation laborious. Well, yes, which I imagine is why uh, the people departed from one another's presence in the days of the Tower of Babel. I mean, if you cannot have shared a, a shared meaning of words, you move away from one another in conversation. And in the days of the Tower of Babel, they actually like physically moved apart from one another into what we would call various societies. Well, that is happening internally in America today. We are moving away from one another when we find that one group of people is using a word in a way that no longer makes sense to us. And as Christians, we then need to see the cross-cultural opportunity and become missionaries from our tribe to theirs. Like That's where this, this leads. This leads to the Great Commission. This leads to the heartfelt desire that the grace of God would be extended to more and more people. This, this means that we have to be willing to go to the places where the words we use do not make sense. And our understanding of the plain meaning of Scripture does not make sense. And then we have to become the interpreters. We have to become the people who translate the gospel into language that people can understand in order that, you know, frankly, God might see fit to bring them to their senses by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm never going to talk someone into believing the gospel. I get that. But I am going to continue to use the truth that God has revealed, and I'm going to continue to put it forward, and I am going to continue um, acknowledging that the Word of God never goes forth, but that it accomplishes that which He wills. And so let's be people of faith who faithfully press the Word as we have received it, into the world that God so loves, trusting God to do the hard work, the really hard work of changing hearts and minds. All right, when we come back, maybe we'll have Bruce Ashford and maybe we'll have more leftovers. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, welcome back. It's the uh, it's the last segment of the second hour of Mornings with Carmen today, and uh, we're going to do leftovers. So 
One of the things that I have taken note of lately, I spend a lot of time during the day listening to other people talk about things and reading what they're writing about things in order that I can be prepared to bring some of those things into the conversation that we have here on uh, on air. And so I, here's one of the things I've noted. There are a number of people who have moved into roles recently where their job title actually includes these two words, public theology, public theology. And one of my favorite like public theologians is uh, Dr. Albert Moeller. And one of the things that I listen to every single day is a podcast called The Briefing. Uh, but he's not the only public theologian out there, and there are a rising number of others that I would describe as in the next generation. Bruce Ashford is one of those. He now has uh, a role as a public theologian. He now works for the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology. Russell Moore uh, has moved from his position or is moving from his position at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention to a role at Christianity Today, a brand new role in in they want to have you know a person who's going to be their public theologian and so public theology is now a part of his job title ed stetzer at wheaton um likewise i would describe as a person who is basically a public theologian may or may not be in his job title but that is what he is doing he is seeking to bring the word of god and conversations about god to bear in the culture writ large ryan t anderson um, now at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., is a public theologian. So when you think about um, public theology, when you think about the kind of theology, the talking about God, the thinking about God, the working for God that we're doing in public spaces, it's not just about words. It's also about a manner of life. It's not just about words. It's also about a manner of life. And so when we Consider public theology. There is a how then shall we now live component to that. You may remember Francis Schaeffer's consideration of how how shall we live, and then Chuck Colson's consideration of how now shall we live. Well, I would say we're now a generation even beyond that, and we're still asking the question. In the midst of what's going on in the world right now, in the conversations of this day, in the contemporary realities of on the blank with the year we're in, 2021. How as Christians are we called to live? And let me just say the answers to the question never change. They never change. They're literally as old as the gospel itself. When the Apostle Paul commends to us that we should lead a life that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called, that we should lead a life that is worthy of the gospel, I'm thinking here of Ephesians 4. Um, where you know this is the conversation that that Paul is having uh, with with the good people of of Ephesus, and what does he say about how we shall now live? What does he say about what it looks like to lead a life or to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called? Well, he says this that we should do so with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
And that's where Paul then goes on to remind us, picking up in Ephesians 4 at verse 4, that there is one body and one spirit, that we have been called to one hope, that we have been called to one Lord, to one faith, to one baptism, to one God and Father of us all who is over all and through all and in all. And that, yes, grace has been given to each one according to the measure of Christ himself. So, as you consider your public witness, the public theology of your own life, let me commend to you these opening verses of Ephesians chapter 4. And let me urge you to walk today and tomorrow and in the days to come in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have been called. You have been called by name. And if you have responded to that call by saying yes to God in Christ Jesus, then your calling is now to extend the grace that you have received to more and more people. That's it. If you've ever wondered, what in the world am I in the world to do? That's it. Having uh, been transferred from darkness to light, you now become a light bearer. You become a light shining in the darkness. You become one of the shiny ones. And how do we shine in a world of darkness? How do we shine in the midst of personal pain? How do we shine when the headlines of the day uh, run in, in terms of a contrary narrative to the gospel? But we shine just like Jesus did, just like Paul did, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Every time that we are tempted to cry out, how long, O Lord? <laughs> I think we got to go back to the foot of the cross. I mean, Jesus bore with us, not only individually, but Jesus bore with us as humanity in love, with humility and gentleness and patience, all the way to hell and back. And so when we think, you know, I just, I've just run out of patience. I just, I don't have any more. Just, I'm, I can't forgive that person one more time. I can't, I can't put up with this. Uh, let's just remember how much Jesus put up with in order that we might know the goodness of God's grace and the hope of salvation. Are you eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Just ask yourself that. Am I eager? The word that Paul uses is eager. Am I eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ, even with those who might be confused on a particular point where I feel like I have utter clarity? Um, do I recognize that we are all parts of the same body, that we all share the same spirit, that we have one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is the one who is over all and through all and in all? When in doubt, rely upon the sovereignty of God and rely on God to be God because he always will be. All right, we're going to take one more brief break and then we're going to wrap it up. We'll be right back. All right. Thank you to each and every one of you who has said, hey, we kind of like the leftovers. The leftovers are tasty. My favorite leftover dish is to take, and I mean, I know, now I'm going to whet everybody's appetite for Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving's not going to roam around for a while, which is the only time of year that I make my mom's famous, like, sausage and mushroom stuffing. 
But let me just say, my favorite leftover dish of all time every year is to take a scoop of the leftover uh, stuffing from Thanksgiving and put it in the waffle iron the next morning, press it out into like a waffle of that's made of stuffing. <gasps> And then put gravy on that as as your like syrup. You're making right, me know. hungry. I know, right? Leftovers, oh, leftovers. So I know. May there be some leftovers this Memorial Day weekend, and may you make much of them. Uh, so there you go. It is a blessing to get to gather together as God's people. Be sure you get into the Word of God today before you get out there into the world that He so loves. And yes, yes, go be shiny. Let your light so shine before others that that they would see your good works and they would glorify God who is in heaven. Like that's the whole point of the exercise of Christianity in the world today, that other people might come to know the grace that we have received, that they too might be transformed uh, and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the very kingdom of the light of Christ. Friends, have a great and glorious three-day weekend. Share the good news of the gospel with someone else. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.